day of our city, San Antonio, and so we were trying to figure out a way that we could do our part um, to honor our city, to love on our city, and so um, we fed 314 homeless people uh, with uh, Church Under the Bridge. Uh, 306 meals were handed out to families in need around the neighborhoods around Agora, which is where we were on uh, Thursday night, and then uh, Beautification Project at Carlos Kuhn Elementary. The, the principal uh, is one of our pastors here, Mark Garcia. It's his birthday today. He's over at Growth Track. If you see him, give him a big high five and tell him happy birthday. Um, amazing, amazing work. And then over 400 uh, volunteer hours uh, spent this week serving our city, which is just amazing. And so I just got to say thank you again to all of you who made that happen. <laughs> Leslie, Leslie's back in the back. Wave at us, Leslie. Uh, Leslie was one of the people that made this happen. And Roxanne Hurtado. Roxanne is our children's pastor. She may be actually working with children. That's uh, her job and whatnot. Um, but she and they made that happen, and they really, really made, worked hard this week to make that go down. And so thank you, guys. And if you, if you were late coming in today, you missed the dancers and the mariachis and all of that. That was fun. We got some artwork out in the lobby. Um, if you would like to... Um, uh, bid on it. It's there. There's one out there. That David's working out there on the, out there right now uh, with a huge lion. Um, all of the proceeds, 100% of those proceeds are going to go to Agora. They have a new facility. We got to volunteer there the other day, and they're going to have hundreds of hundreds of kids coming through there, and the building that they have doesn't have to have air conditioner. And so I was like, dude, uh, we're going to fix that. Uh, our church is going to fix that. So by the way, we're going to just, on your behalf, we're going to buy, uh, I think it's about $3,500 uh, air conditioner system. Um, it's this new one that they use a lot in the Caribbean. It doesn't cost as much as a regular central a, but AC, but it works like one. And uh, so whatever you give towards that, those art, that artwork, um, we're going to make sure it goes right to Agora and, and make sure that all those kids, because don't you feel like if you live in San Antonio, it's God's right for you to have air conditioner? Can I get an amen? I mean, if, if I don't know if it is or not, if it's, but I feel like it's his will. Come on, somebody. It's his will. He created air conditioner. Come on, right? Not really. Um, he gives somebody the ability to do it. But anyways, we're so glad you're here. Um, I, I, I love this city. Um, I, I uh, was born and raised here. This is my hometown. Matter of fact, um, so often when families have babies here, um, they'll have it, them born at Methodist Hospital. And when I get to go up there and visit uh, sometimes and, and pray over the baby and see the family, I'll always say, hey, I was actually born in Methodist Hospital. And always their response is, man, I didn't realize it was this old. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, why? Come on, you know, I'm blessing your kid and you're cursing me, you know. But I am old and, and Methodist Hospital is even older than me, apparently. So I, I love the city for so many reasons. I, I love the sights. Um, when I didn't live here for nine years and I would come home, I would just love the certain icons that I would see. And it made me so happy. I love the smells. Even um, some towns don't smell good, like New Orleans. If you've ever been to New Orleans, it just stinks, man. Come on, it smells bad. But San Antonio, sorry if you're from there. San Antonio, it smells like purple in the spring, mountain laurels blooming. Anybody know what I'm saying, mountain laurels? Those of you who are not from here, next time it's February, about the third week of February, just look at every bush and it has purple on it. And it smells like purple too. Like whatever purple is supposed to smell like, mountain laurels smell like purple. Um, and, 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 and then how about the food? Come on, everybody. If you don't love our city, you love the food at least. Like, like I'm pretty sure that, the ta that tacos and chips and salsa and enchiladas and big red and fajitas and carne guisada and guacamole and Spurs Jesus all were created right here in San Antonio. Like I probably made all that up, but it feels right. So I'm going with it this morning. Um, 
Like we, we were, my family and I, my wife and I rather, were just in Europe uh, celebrating our 20th anniversary or 10 years. And, and by the way, if you didn't know this, you guys sent us the, the trustees and the staff made sure that happened. And some of you actually gave towards that. Thank you so very much. If you didn't know, well, now you do. Um, you sent us there. And I'm going to tell you, after uh, we were there um, nine days, but with the two travel days, it was almost 11 days. And, and by the time we got, we were coming back, all I could think about was, chips and salsa. Come on, somebody. Like we got to Chicago after a nine hour flight from Paris and we were like going up and down the hallways and we found chilies. Like I don't even eat at chilies, but they had chips and salsa. So that day I ate at chilies because chips and salsa, like chips and salsas are so, are so awesome. I feel like we should use it for communion from now on, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that raise attendance? Like, hey, chips and salsa, you know? Um, big red, uh, big red and chips and salsa all together. But it's be like having communion for quite a while. Like, hey, second round of communion, everybody. Anyways, no, we won't do that. Um, I, I love my hometown. Uh, I was born here. God called us back here a little over 10 years ago. And we, we, we just sort of said bye to everything, all the comfort, all the everything we knew because we felt so strongly that this was where God wanted us to come and reach people who were far from God. And um, I, I, I love San Antonio. Now, I know that, that not all of you are, or even most of you are originally from here. And so you may not have the same passion um, for this city as I do, but I have been praying. Um, and in particular, I just really felt uh, to pray that you would leave here today with some measure of passion um, for this city, something like even at almost sort of gut level, viscerally would just uh, engage your heart, engage your mind for the city. Like maybe, <clears throat> maybe you don't dig the river walk and you're like, man, it's just kind of a dirty little creek. Um, or maybe you were completely underwhelmed by the Alamo because you thought it was going to be bigger. Um, maybe, maybe you <clears throat> you're here in the military. And the furthest you've ever gone is Bandera Road and then all the way back over to Lackland. Like that's your only like route that you know. Um, like maybe you've never walked the streets of King Williams District or you've never gone to look at Christmas lights in Windcrest and you don't even know what that is. And, and maybe you've never done First Friday in, 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 in Southtown or, or maybe like San Fernando Cathedral doesn't ring your bell like it, like it rings mine. Um, maybe you've never grown up cruising Southwest Military, man. Um, come on, anybody? Anybody here cruise Southwest Military? Four of you, you don't, the rest of you, like someday just on a Friday night, just get whatever the coolest car you have, like not your Prius, like you'll just be, bad things will happen to you, you know what I'm saying? But I had a 76 Cutlass Supreme, you know, when I was 15 and 16, I was driving a little early, 15, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, here I am driving without my dad, yes, you know? Uh, it was a really ugly car, but I felt really cool in it because it, it was about as long as this church, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's like a coupe. Uh, anyways, um, maybe you've never cruised military. M maybe, maybe your teenage uh, April nights weren't spent at Nyosa like mine were, just hoping any pretty girl would notice me. Come on, anybody besides me? Every night at Nyosa just going, man, is there anybody that's not drunk? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody was. So I just went home lonely every time. Um, Maybe, you, maybe you're from the valley, because I know a lot of you are, and you think the food is better down there. It's not. It's not. Come on. <laughs> Because if it were, why are you here, man? Why are you here? Just, just real quick, if you're from the valley, raise up your hand. Raise up your hand. Yeah, yeah, a couple of you. Why are you here? You're like, hey. They're always like, the food's better down there. I'm like, no, it's not. You wouldn't be here if it were, man, because food rules everything. 
And just for me, it does anyways. Like <laughs> maybe Las Margaritas or Piedras Negras or Don Pedro on, on Southwest Military. If you like, like if you just trust me, go to Don Pedro this week. It's been there since like before I was born. And I, I'm going to say two out of every four Sunday nights of every month I ate at Don Pedro. And usually I bummed off of whoever my sister was dating at the time to pay for it. Praise the Lord for, <laughs> praise the Lord for that. Until she met Mark Garcia, my brother-in-law, and he bummed off of me, man. <laughs> Child, labor and whatnot. If you, when you see Mark Garcia, say, hey, I heard you bummed off Danny back in, the, back in Nam. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like maybe you've never heard of Bongo Joe or heard Bongo Joe play. Just Google that, by the way. M maybe you still don't know that yet that Jesus loves the Spurs more than whatever team you root for. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not this year. He doesn't. Uh, like, like maybe none of what I've said is relevant to you in any way, shape, or form. But at the end of the day, I love my city for more than the sights and the sounds and the smells and the food and even the million memories that I've created here growing up in this town. Because most of all, I love my city. I love the people of my city. Um, I, I love the heritage of, of my city. I love our culture I love the diversity of the people. I love walking around and hearing Spanish spoken, even when I can only pick out the bad words and then I get insecure. I'm like, are they talking about me? Or like, what's going down right now? You know, um, but I love, I love that. I love our city. I love the culture. I love, I love the people um, in Five Points and, and in Alamo Heights. And I love the people in Southtown and Monte Vista and Beacon Hill and, and, and Lavaca and, and, and Terrell Hills and Knob Hill and Ellis Alley and, 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 and Hollywood Hills. We got a lot of hills around here and, and Almas Basin. And, and, and this week when we were near the Alazan Apache courts, I remember serving there so many times as a, as a teenager in Avenida Guadalupe and, and Adams Hill. Any Adams Hill people in the house today? Okay, that's where I grew up. And the first two services, people were like, yeah, wait a minute, we do have an Adams Hill person. Yeah, that's right, Sharon lived in Adams Hill. Some more Adams Hill folks up in the house today. Represent Adams Hill. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but anyways... Um, <laughs> I love Alamo Ranch, which is where I live now, and Stillwater. I love the neighborhoods, and I love the people of San Antonio. So, so even if San Antonio is not your home, and even if you're just here on an assignment with a job or the military, can we all just gather around as a church? Can, can we gather around the neighborhoods? Can we gather around the people who live in those neighborhoods? Can can God give us a heart for San Antonio because of the people who live in it? Like, like no matter how you feel about the city um, or, or the Alamo or the Riverwalk, can we just see the people of the city? And can we ask God to stir up in our hearts a passion and a burden for the people who live in our city? Can, can you ask God to give you a heart for the lost people of the city? Can we find the strength and can, can, we, can we ask the Holy Spirit for the clarity, right, to stop making life just about our little worlds and our little things and our little pursuits and our little wants and wishes and problems? And can we, can we, can we get up above all of that and see the sort of 10,000-foot view and at least for a little while, the, the city that we are called to, like even if you've been moved here by the military, I believe God put you here for somebody, for some reason. Can, can we see San Antonio the way that God sees San Antonio? 
For, for, for the next few moments, I'm going to share something I've shared here a couple of years ago. And, and, and as I was working on this this week and as I was trying to figure out what I was going to say, I just felt led that this is what we should talk about, even though I've talked about it before. And that my prayer is that when you leave this place, you'll, you'll feel something powerful for your city, that you'll feel a personal responsibility to this city, even if it's not your home. And I want, so I want you to turn in your Bibles if you have them. And, and if you didn't bring one, we, we always have it on the screen. We have LifePoint notes, but I just think it's really important that you bring a Bible with you. Even if it's on your phone, just, you'll, you'll thank me 10 years from now when you've written some notes or highlighted some things or underlined some things and those words speak to you again and you remember that day when God said something to you. You'll thank me later. John chapter four, it's in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and we're gonna pick it up midway through the story, but let me give you a little bit of context. Jesus has had some trouble with the Pharisees, and so he leaves his, this town of Judea, this area of Judea, and he goes back to his ancestral home, uh, Galilee. Uh, it's a region along the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and on his way, he makes his journey through an area called Samaria. Now, Samaria was a place at odds with, with Israel. They did not like each other. There was some racial tension and hostility there. The Jews uh, really looked down on the Samaritans, and so Jesus has made his way pointedly. He's made his way to this area called Sychar. And, and in Sychar was the place that Jacob, um, the, 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 from the book of Genesis, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that guy, he had ceded this land to his son Joseph. And there was a well there, which they'd called sort of colloquially Jacob's well, like Jacob built it. And it had been running for millennia now, providing water. And so Jesus comes there ostensibly to rest, but he meets a lady there who's drawing well, uh, water from the well, a Samaritan woman. And this is a really strange encounter that, that didn't ordinarily happen. And they have this conversation about her life and about water and about eternal life and about worship. And, and, and then she's like, wow, you know, you're, you know, she's asking him some questions. And he says, why don't you go get your husband and bring him back here? And she says, well, I'm not married. And he goes, you, you said it right that you're not married because you've been married five times. And the dude you're living with now, he's not your husband. And so she's like, whoa, I perceive you're a prophet, right? You would be doing that. right? Hey, he knew everything about me. And so she's there, and all of a sudden, in the midst of all this, we pick up here in verse 27, his disciples who've been going out to find food come back. And here's what it says in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman because this just wasn't done. Men and women did not commingle in public spaces. But no one asked him, hey, what do you want or what do you need? Or, hey, what are you doing? Why are you talking to this woman? Nobody did this. So then the woman seeming like, hey, there's a little weirdness going on here. She takes her water jar. She goes back to the town because this well was outside the town. And she says to all the people in the town area, she says, hey, listen, come out and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Like he just like read my, my history without knowing about it. And she, so she says, could this be the Messiah? She's perceiving that this guy's other than, he's not just a regular dude. And so they, these people, this mass of people come out of the town and now they're making their way towards him. Meanwhile, verse 31, his disciples urged him, hey, rabbi, like, I don't know what you were doing. I don't know why you were doing it. You need to eat lunch now. That's what they say, eat lunch. And, 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 and the whole town's on their way to hear from the savior of the world, like to have him teach them, to have them, him save them. And all they can think about is, have you had lunch yet? Come on. How many of you can witness that right now? Like for me, lunch, lunch is maybe the greatest invention of humankind, I, I think. 
And I start to think about lunch about 10, 11 in the morning. Um, not 10 or 11, 10, 11 in the morning. And, and I know that successful people, they do working lunches and they have lunch brought in so they can keep working or they go out and have business lunches. But like, that's why I'm not successful because I don't want to work over lunch. Can I get an amen? Like, like I say, I work five hours or whatever and then there's a vacation in the day called lunch and then I work another four or five hours or whatever. But in the meantime, I don't want to work. I don't want to deal with problems. I want to have a vacation with some chips and salsa as, as the... Anybody with me on this? Or is it just me, right? Amen to these disciples going, hey, bro, I don't care what's going on. We need to eat lunch. So I, I feel them. But what's happening here is that, that, that something amazing is going down, and they don't get it. Like, all they're thinking about is their rhythms. Hey, we eat lunch at this time of day. Like, some of you, you eat lunch at the same time of day every day. Some of you eat the same thing. For, like, two years, my dad ate peanuts. I'm not even lying. He was an engineer at, K at Kelly Air Force Base, and he would take a jar of peanuts, and he would eat peanuts every day. He called it his peanut diet. I was like, of course you lost weight, Dad. You're starving to death. That's what happens. Anyways, um, I digress. It's about their personal comfort. It's about their stuff, and they're, they're, they're missing the point of Jesus' mission. So... He wants to bring them like out of lunch mode into, hey, we're here to save people mode. And so here's what happens. He, so he says to them in verse 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. Like stop thinking about lunch, guys. I'm gonna tell you something about eternal things. <laughs> this is funny, man. You should read the Bible, right? It, then his disciples said to each other, could somebody have brought him lunch already? Like look, at it says that right here. Could somebody have brought him food? Like did somebody make a taco run and not tell us? Like, you ever have anybody do that at work and you're like, dude, did you just really go get tacos and not bring some? I gotta eat tuna fish right now. Bitterness will come up inside your spirit when that happens, right? And so they're like, could somebody have brought him food? And then he's like, come on. He's like, you can see him getting frustrated. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Like, what nourishes me, fellas, is eternal things, is the big things. And he says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. But he's like, I'm going to tell you something else. Open your eyes. Now, if you have your Bibles or if you're on your phone, highlight that. Open your eyes. And look at the fields. Now, when he's saying fields, he's not talking about fields. He's talking about the people now that are right in front of him. They're coming. They can see them now. Guys, stop thinking about lunch. Stop thinking about what's here and now. Look at the fields, these people who are hungry, who want to know more about me. They're coming to me. And then he says of them, they are ripe for the harvest. Fellas, stop thinking about every little detail and open your eyes to see people the way I see people. Fellas, he says, I just wish you could see with this crowd that you're looking at as a nuisance, like as a problem, like as getting in the way of lunch, I wish you could see what I see when I see them. Open your eyes. Now, I obviously wear glasses because they're on my face right now and they're not for looks. I'm per perfectly handsome without them, <laughs> said nobody ever. Anyways, um, <laughs> but, but I'm nearsighted. And if those of you who have perfect vision, uh, then you don't know what the folks of us who have to wear glasses and, and each year they get thicker and each year I can see less and some of you guys can relate to what I'm saying right now. Like I can see really well anything that's this close. 
no, this close. That's it right there. Anything away from that? And I start missing important details. Like I was driving through Austin traffic yesterday and I hate dirty glasses. And so I was cleaning them while I was looking. And of course in Austin, there's traffic every four feet. Um, and I was like, because they were stopped in front of me. And there was a truck right next to me with a giant uh, buffalo's head coming out of it. So I did what any sane person did. And even while I was in traffic, I took a picture of the buffalo head. Some of you saw that on Facebook. Um, that's how I roll. Now, what, but what happens is, is I lose track because I'm nearsighted. I lose track of the bigger picture. I can only see what's right in front of me. Ch check this out on the screen here. This is an eye chart. Many of you have seen this. Some of you have seen less of it than, than others of us. Like, I'm like, I think that's an E up there. Me and, me and blind Bartimaeus are like, I think that's, like I can see it pretty good with my glasses, but without my glasses, it's just a, I think it's a bat. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, those, like those psychology things, like what do you see in the shape? A bat, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the eye chart exposes the flaws in my vision. That's the whole point of it. Let me ask you a question. Is it more important to be able to see the big letters, the big picture, or the small pictures? It's not a trick question, right? The, the small stuff, right? Like, like everybody can, most everybody, as long as I have my glasses on, can see the E, right? But what's important to the doctor is that I'm able to see the small print, the details. And, and check this out, because sometimes with vision, which is what I'm trying to talk about today, sometimes with vision, it's the things that we miss, it's the things that we overlook. It's the things that we ignore. Because all we can see is what's right in front of us. It's the things that we miss that are telling about our vision and what's lacking from it. So if we can only see the big letters, then the doctor will prescribe corrective lenses or surgeries to fix our vision. This is what is happening in this story here. Jesus is realizing they can only see what's right in front of them. They're nearsighted. They're missing the big picture. Like there's a harvest of seekers coming towards us and all they can think about is lunch. They can't see what I see. You know, I, I can relate because I don't, I not only have a, a physical defect of nearsightedness, I can have, I have a spiritual one as well. Sometimes I get so focused on my own personal comforts and my own personal preferences that I completely miss what Jesus sees. And furthermore, who Jesus sees. Like, I'm no better than the disciples were at the time of the reading we just did. I get focused on me and my stuff instead of what Jesus is focused on. And, and I don't think I'm alone in this. I, I think as a church that we can miss the details that are important to Jesus. Then we can't, listen to me, we can't afford that. There's this passage in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, and it starts in verse 5, where Peter's describing these virtues. And he says, add to your faith goodness and goodness. And he goes down this line. Seven virtues. The, the early church fathers called them the capital virtues. And, and he says, you need to get these in increasing measure. Otherwise, he says, you'll be ineffective. And then he finishes it with this. And he says, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. He actually uses the word nearsighted, which was the disciples' problems. They can only see what's right in front of them. They're missing the bigger picture. And he say, he, what he's saying is you're going to be so consumed with your stuff that you'll miss two things. Number one, the stuff that Jesus Christ has done on your behalf when he saved you. And number two, the things that Jesus Christ wants to do in your life, through your life with other people. You're going to miss those if you don't have this. You're going to become nearsighted if you're not growing in your faith. So, so the question for us today is what does Jesus see? 
when, when he looks at our city, when he looks over San Antonio, what does he see? And then what's our response to that? I love the story. I've told it before. There's a young minister. He's fresh out of seminary, and he's about to lead his very first um, service, and so he's rehearsing it over and, and over again. And he's in a kind of a church that's a liturgical church, meaning, you know, he'll, they'll say something, and the crowd will respond to it. And, and, and there's this, this kind of liturgy that begins with, hey, the Lord be with you, and people respond. Yeah, a lot of you know this, right? And he's not sure how it's going to go, and, and he's quite nervous about the whole thing. And so he stands up before the church on his first Sunday morning, and he realizes that the, right when he's about to start, the microphone's dead. And so he taps it on uh, his fingers on it, and it's not making any sounds, and he starts to panic, and he's like, something's wrong with this thing. And the crowd says, and also with you. It's funny, I don't care who you are, right? Come on. Now... When you think about this world and when you look at this world which God made and God loves, one thing becomes apparent really fast. There's something wrong with this thing. And it's simply true, and it doesn't matter whatever your mindset is and, and wherever you are on the sort of political spectrum and whatever you think the answers, the right answers might be and whoever you think is best suited to provide the right answers. It really doesn't matter what you think about faith and, and God. This is really clear that little kids aren't supposed to go to bed hungry at night. And yet even in our town, we saw this this week, they do. And the elderly going to bed hungry I mean, as we walked that neighborhood handing out bags of food that you provided, people so happy, is there anywhere to get more? People that were so elderly, their houses were falling apart around them. Little bitty kids, dirty, running around in, in our, our city. Like, human beings aren't supposed to be divided up into the rich and the very poor. And that God did not intend for humanity to live in some some to live in really nice places while everybody else lives in in, in slums and ghettos and barrios i cannot believe that that's god's plan for our humanity races and nations were not intended to be divided up and live in hostility and suspicion and violence towards one another and yet it happens all the time. When we look at the way things are in our world now and even in our city, and everyone has to say if we have any sort of spatial awareness around us that there's something wrong with this thing. There just isn't. It's not, it's not just that. It's not that there's just something that's wrong with the world because, like, I'm part of the problem too. Truth is that sometimes I'm apathetic. And sometimes I turn a blind eye to need. And sometimes I'm just selfish with what I have. And sometimes I pass judgment on the very people that I should be loving on. And I rationalize why I have this and why they don't have, they have so little. And as if I deserve it and they don't. It's not just the world, man. It's me. Possibly it's you too. And the question is, what do we do? What are we going to do? I've read this quote a dozen times here from Louis Giglio, pastors in Atlanta, and he says, I think the dilemma is whether the believers, the followers of Jesus, are going to cloister together and keep singing worship songs over and over and enjoy their faith and their walk with Christ until the end, meaning that they're going to make a kind of a church that's all about church people, or whether they're going to let God's heart start beating inside of their heart. Because if that happens, if they see what God sees, it's going to break their hearts. And it's going to propel them outside of their circles and outside of their buildings. If we could only see what God sees. 
If we could only look at San Antonio the way God looks at it. You know what his vantage point is of, of the world? Seven billion people. The best estimates say that there are about 2.1 billion uh, Christ followers in the world living today. Um, that might be high, I don't know. But what that means then is if they're right, then 4.9 billion people don't know Jesus and are headed for an eternity without Christ. Can you feel the weight of that? Can, can you feel the grief of that from God's point of view? I need about 15 of you to come up here real quick. I'm not going to make you do anything. Just, just come up real quick and stand in a line real quick. Quick, come on, 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 come on. Somebody, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Face that way. All right, right, you start right here. All right, just in a line, just get in a line, just get in a line. Face that way. Get closer, come up closer, come up closer, come up closer. Thank you very much, thank you very much. Yes, awesome, come on up. Give me a high five right here, come on. Give me a high five, yeah. A little closer, a little closer. Now, we're going to use these people, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. We're going to use these people as a kind of measuring stick. Look at them. Look at their faces. If we stacked up the people just like this, let me, let me tell you a few things that will give you perspective. So on September the 1st, 2011, 2,996 people died in the Twin Towers, in the Pentagon, and in a field in Pennsylvania. 2,996 people. If we stack them up just like this, how long do you think that line would be? I'll give you an answer because I've done the math. It's six-tenths of a mile. So if you get in your car right here in the parking lot, you take off down Braun Road, you get about halfway to 1604, and that's how long the line would be. And I want you just to look at their faces. 2,996 people for six-tenths of a mile who went out into eternity on that day. Look at their faces. How, how about in Haiti, 2010, January the 12th, a massive earthquake stuck, struck, the, the epicenter of which was right near the village of Vignet, where we work when we go down there. Uh, best estimates were 160,000 people died in one earth-shaking moment of terror. How long is that line? Look at the faces. So you get in your car. You take off on 1604 and you drive around the outside of San Antonio, you get on 35, you go through Selma, go two miles past Selma, a line just like this of people. Look at their faces, 160,000 of them. Now, the Southern Baptist Association says that the best estimates is in San Antonio is there's 1.8 million people in San Antonio who do not follow Jesus. They're not Christ followers, headed for a Christless eternity, 1.8 million in our city. How long is that line? Well, you start out from here and you go around 1604 on the south side and you go down to 35 south and you head down to Laredo. You go through Laredo and you keep driving to Monterrey. You go through Monterrey, you go 30 miles past it to Saltillo, Mexico. 340 miles of people lined up just like this. Look at their faces. 340 miles worth of people headed for a Christless eternity. How about the world, 4.9 billion people stacked up just like this? What does that line look like? Well, you take off from here and you drive to New York City. When you get to New York City, you get on a plane, you fly, let's say, Amsterdam. You fly to Amsterdam, you land the plane, you get off, you get on another plane, you take off and you go the opposite way around the world until you've circled the whole globe, 24,900 and... 
one miles. 24,901 miles around the globe. You do that one time, and it's a line of people just like this, 24,901. You do it three times. You do it five times. You do it 10 times. You keep going 15 times around the globe, 30 times, 37 times around our planet. People lined up like this. Look at their faces. Headed for a Christless eternity. That's what God sees when he looks at this world that he loved and created. You guys can have your seats. Thank you so much. Give him a hand real quick. Four point nine billion people. That's four trips to our moon. Of people lined up just like you saw them there. Headed for a Christless eternity. And most of us were thinking about lunch. We're thinking about our hurts and our wounds and our needs. And Jesus is saying to his fellows, and he's saying to us today, could you see the people of this city the way I see them? Could you make it about more than just your stuff and your personal comforts and your personal sort of comfort zone and level? You know, you can tell if you're spiritually nearsighted by what you pray for. I can. When I find myself praying about just me and my stuff and my needs and my wishes and my wants, I know that I'm missing the bigger point of God use me to reach lost people. God help me to reach people who are far from you. That's when I know I'm nearsighted. You can read the stories of, that Jesus told of lost things, a lost, a lost sheep that he would leave 99 saved sheep to go find the one. Nine coins, uh, perfectly safe in a purse, but the lady's missing one. She turns the house upside down looking for the one. A, a father who has one son at home, but one son away from home. And every day he goes out looking for the lost son because Jesus was letting us know that he's distracted by what is lost. See the harvest. See the field. See the people, he says. They're ripe unto harvest. And he says, but the laborers, the people who get it, the people who are not nearsighted, they are few. This is why we do three services. There's empty chairs all around you. We could probably squeeze all of you into the first two services, but listen to me. People come to specific services, and every service, people get saved almost every week, and they would not have come if they didn't have that service available. This is why we're trying to build a building down the road. Listen, this neighborhood church that we're about to build down the road, despite our city's best efforts and our county's best efforts to stop us, every week there's some new thing. We're going to prevail. We're gonna, it's going to happen in Jesus' name. Listen to me. Why do you think God gave us that land down there? Nine acres just down the street here. Because 235,000 people live within a five-mile radius of us. And churches, and we're going to build. God will be our help. We're going to build a church where thousands of people will come to church in various locations all around this whole area. We might go to Kerrville. We might go to Floresville. We might go to Castroville. We might go to Bandera. Wherever God will open a door, we will build churches in neighborhoods because people in neighborhoods need to know Jesus, and people in neighborhoods need their marriages to help, and people in neighborhoods need to get fed and clothed, and they need medical care. And listen, we got a ton of people with a ton of skills who don't know what to do yet, but God's going to give you something to do. And are you willing to get your glasses on to see what God sees? This city is counting on us, LifePoint. 
But let me ask you something. Who's counting on you? Who in your world? And you would say, Danny, I don't, I, I don't know how to reach people, man. I mean, isn't that your job? Well, how many people do you think I know? Like, I don't even know all of you, right? Here's the thing. You're saying, I don't know how to reach, teach the gospel. I don't know. And you guys can come to the keys if you don't mind. I'm, I'm about to wrap this up, I hope. Um, and you, but, but listen, here's the, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. But the Bible says that when Jesus left, he told his disciples, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He's already, ascend, I mean, he's already risen from the grave. He's been hanging around with them, and he says to them, but you, fellas, and he's talking to you and me too, every believer in this room, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To do what? To see it, read it. To be what? His witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. What does that represent for us? That's San Antonio. That's hometown. Samaria. What's that? That's home area. That's Texas. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, Judea, Texas, Samaria would be, our, would be our nation. The ends of the world, that's global missions. And we're doing some in Lithuania and we're doing some in Haiti and we're doing some in Costa Rica and we're doing some in the Philippines. We're part of all of this. This is what God's called us to do, but you have a part in it. And you're like, I don't know how, I don't know what. Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So if, you're not receive, if you don't feel power, say, God, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the Holy Spirit. Power me up so that I can be a witness. That's what God wants to do for you. And he's going to put some glasses on you. You can't see anything other than your own personal wants and wishes. And I don't even know who you are anymore. Come on. Oh, there you are. There you are again. That's what happens, though, when you say, God, use me. Use me. Give me a burden. I know I'm only here for a year or I'm only here for two years. And you could come in, those of you who are in the military, those of you who are in for just a job transfer for a season, you could just sort of check out and say, ah, when I get back home, I'll try that. No, no, this is your home. For right now, this is your home. And, and you don't have to love it. And you can think our, our, our river walk is dirty. It is. But we love it, man. We can't swim in it because we would die, but we love it. <laughs> Forget the river, forget the Alamo, forget Piedras Negras, forget it. The people. Stop thinking about lunch and see the people. There's some stuff that you can do. This is stuff I give you all the time, I'll tell you again. Number one, get on the dream team. I don't know how to reach my neighborhood. Get on the dream team and be part of people who are reaching your neighborhood because all you got to do is get your friends here. Call, call out your neighborhoods real quick. Start saying them out with me. Stillwater. Riverstone. Northwest Crossing. Say it. Lake Hills. Al, Al, yeah, Alamo Ranch. Alamo Ranch is so big that I'm moving because I can't reach that hood. It's too big. I'm going to a smaller neighborhood. Come on, call it out. Bridgewood. Lotus Ranch Acres. Silver Oaks. Come on, that's right across the street from our new crib. We ought to dominate Silver Oaks, y'all. Hey, listen, if you called out a neighborhood, that's your hood. That's your responsibility. But let me tell you something. Don't get overwhelmed by that. You know what's really your responsibility? Your next door neighbor. What if you became the kind of person who wouldn't be like, I don't want to know my neighbors. They're kind of crazy. Well, maybe they think you're kind of crazy. What if you just invited them to church? So number one, number one, 
Get on the dream team. Number two, I got to remember my own points here now. Accept the personal responsibility. It's not just my job or the preacher's jobs or the pastors of America. It's our job. It's accept the personal responsibility. You know, you know what? You know what? You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? He says, therefore, if anybody's in Christ, meaning if you're saved, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself, not just so he could be saved. Look at this, not just so he could be saved and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. There is racial division in our, in our world like, like I can't remember in my lifetime. Whose job is it to, to reconcile? Christians. It's our job. We gotta stop being part of the problem and become part of the solution. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look, look what he's gonna, we're gonna do with it. That, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Look at this beautiful line, not counting people's sins against them. What's better than that? And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So then we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So what we're gonna say is we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's your job. That's my job. Number three, develop a personal relationship. Find people who don't know Jesus. What do you do with them? Number four, look at an opportunity to share your story. Like, I don't know the gospel. I don't know how to break the bread of life down. Did Jesus save you? Can you tell people I was lost, but now I'm found? I was not a good person. Now God's making me a better person. I couldn't cook. Now I can. That's Jesus. Come on, somebody. Tell that. Invite me over, you know. Share your story. And, and, and lastly, give a personal invitation. We hand out these cards all the time. We call them invite cards. Really what I want to call them is bring invitations. Like when you pick one up, you're like, uh-oh. I just obligated myself to bring somebody to church. Je Jesus tells a story in Luke's gospel, and I'm like three and a half minutes over my time already. It's the last day. We don't have anybody coming behind us. It's just y'all going to be with me for another couple more minutes. And he's telling a story about this party that this rich man threw, and he said that nobody came that were, was invited. So he says to his, his servants, he says, hey, listen, go out into the highways and the hedges. Go out wherever people are, people who everybody else forgets about, the small people. He's like, everybody wants to go get the big people on the screen, but nobody wants to get the small. Go out to the small people. And nobody's small in Jesus' eyes, by the way. But go to, go to the people everybody else overlooks. He says, invite them to come in. Why? Look at this, look at this. Read the last line there. That my house will be full. Look around you. Do you see empty chairs in this room? Do you? What are you going to do about that? Uh, you need a market better, Danny. You need to preach shorter messages. Listen, if you get those chairs full, I'll preach shorter messages. Until then, I'm going to preach until I'm done. Amen, somebody. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, whether this is hometown, USA, like it is for me, or whether you got here as soon as you could because you're smart like I am, or whether you're leaving soon, can you love the people of the city that God puts you in? Wherever God puts you, could you love the people of the city? Do your best. I'm going to read a series of statements. I haven't gotten to read these one time, but it's the last service. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. We have got to out-love and out-accept the world. That's our job. So I want you to personalize these statements. If the church is going to be a place of caring and healing, then it's going to be because of the people who, who attend here care and are patient with people. 
If the church is going to be a warm, inviting place, it's going to be because its people are friendly and warm, because its people aren't interested in cliques and exclusivity, but are open to whomever, however, whenever. If the church is going to be a place where real people can come and begin a relationship with Jesus, it will happen because its people are real and realize they are forgiven sinners and they are messy themselves. If the church is going to be a place where people can grow at their own pace, it's going to be because its people aren't pushy and don't force religion down people's throats. It's going to be because people recognize other people's needs to move at their own rate and not judge people for where they're at. They're going to allow God to do his work and not try to do his work for them, for him. If the church is going to grow, it will grow because its people recognize their responsibility as the church. It's not a building, it's people. And reach out to other people and build relationships with people and bring them into our gatherings, both small and corporate. If the church is going to make a difference in the community, it will be because people like this, people this week, recognize their responsibility to be potent salt and bright light in the world and literally become the hands and the feet of Jesus, as so many of you did this past week. I heart essay, and I hope you will too. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, thank you so very, very much for the great commission to go out into all the world and reach people. May we never become the kind of church, as Andy Stanley says, that there's a gravitational pull towards insiderness, meaning that church has to be about all the Christians who go there. That everybody has to get their kind of music and their needs and their pet projects done. May we be the kind of people, be the, be, be the kind of church who would say it's not about us. It's about the people who are not yet here. And may we do our part to reach them, to bring them, to disciple them, to love them, to mentor them, to, to teach them a Bible study, to, to, to lead them through a small group. Whatever it is that you ask us to do, may we be the kind of church who would say yes to whatever it is that we can do to help lost people come home. Give us grace, I pray. Give us strength, I pray wisdom to do this, I pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.